Well, hey, good morning. Good to see all you guys. Just crammed in. I love it. It's great. 8.15, you ought to try it. It's plenty of room. It's an opportunity if you love God, love people, love football. We'll see you there starting in about, what, two weeks, three weeks? So, no, it's uh, great to see you guys. I'm excited about today. One, River Baptism is always one of my, these are my favorite Sundays. But also, I have an announcement that I get to share at the end of the service. It's going to be awesome. Okay, you're not going to leave. We're not going to go to sleep. Um, and I'm not, I'm just going to keep talking about it. Just keep you get excited about it. Um, but I'm not going to tell you now. So, uh, now if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can turn to Jude. Okay. The book of Jude, if it's on your phone, it's going to be easier. It's in your Bible. It's right before revelation at the back. Just look and go back. It's only one chapter, 25 verses is all it is. So just real small, but we're going to be talking today about who's not at the table. So this you belong here, uh, this, this desire we all have that we long to belong, and we talked week one, you belong at the table, week two, the, the, that we've all been called to wait on the table and serve one another. We had a lot of people sign up last week and say they wanted to serve at Rock Harbor and engage in, in being a partner here, and so we're pumped about that. We still have plenty of opportunities for, for more involvement, but today we're going to be talking about who's not at the table. You guys know, like... When you get those evites, you know, someone sends it to you, they're like, hey, here's a party coming up, whatever. You always go, and what do you do? You look at who's going, right? Like, okay, who's going to be there, you know? And then you see so-and-so's not going, you're like, I'm not sure. I mean, when we get invited to things, we'll say things like, I'll go if you go, which means like, I have no desire to go, but if you're going, it'll make it a little bit more tolerable. Um, maybe that's a family get-together. <laughs> um, but I'll go, I'll go if you go, or hey, are you coming back for Christmas? I don't know, is so-and-so coming back for Christmas? Because then I would consider it. You know, we're kind of looking our, you know, who's, who's, who's interested in going. Uh, we say things about parties. If you go or get together, you'll say things like, oh, you had to be there. Guess you had to be there. Like something happens in that moment that it's hard to tell the story a little bit later. You go to tell, like, and then this happened, and then this, and then people are like, I don't even get what you're talking about. Well, and then you say, I guess you had to be there. Um, or you say things like, dude, you missed it. You missed out on what, what was going on. But we have, ask, often ask ourselves and we say those things. We also say like, it's not the same without you. Like if you're not there, it's just not the same. And last week I read a passage. It was um, talking about that, this, that our life gives off a fragrance, uh, a sweet smelling savor or a, a stanky stench. And so it's like our life either leads to, it gives a fragrance of life or it gives a fragrance of, of death. And right before that, Paul makes a quite a profound statement. He says, my spirit wasn't at rest because his friend was not there. He wanted his friend to be there. Sorry, the verse on the screen is not the same one. So some of you are like, I don't read that. He's making up verses. It's in the Bible, okay? It's in 2 Corinthians 2.13, leave me alone. My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I left. Okay, so to the point that, you know, sometimes we go and we're, we're looking forward to something, they're not, they're not there. What we're going to talk about today is this, not everyone's at the table. Not everybody knows about Jesus. Not everybody's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to have this, this mind of going, okay, I've been given a great gift. How can I share that great gift that I've been given? And that's what was happening in the beginning church. In Acts 2, 41 through 47 is this big charge kind of saying, here's what's going on in this, this church. Jesus had died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And now we talked last week, we have 11 disciples, not 12. We have 11 disciples and they're planting churches. They're multiplying leadership. They're seeing thousands baptized, thousands coming to Christ, thousands being baptized. Many were being added. And now they're saying, but they're not all here yet. Many were being added, but not yet all of them. 
So Jude writes this book that really, this just short letter that really challenges what's going on in these days and times because there was this teaching of Jesus that was true and divine and from God. And then you had all the false teaching that existed. So you had cults and people that were saying, hey, religion is what gets you to heaven. Religion is what it's all about. Or, or this false idol worship. They're worshiping like things that were made of wood, things that were made of stone, things that were made of, of gold. And then there were people that were worshiping sex. They were worshiping reproduction. They were worshiping the sun rather than worshiping like the son of God. And so he's addressing false teaching. And that's where we find ourselves in Jude uh, verse. There's only one chapter. So it's verse three. And four, he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for your faith. This is going to be a battle. You're going to have to battle for your faith. For certain people have crept in, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and they design, deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So these false teachers have, I like how you use the word crept in. Because they don't come out and say something that is, you know, exactly opposite of what it means to truly follow Jesus. They come around the back door and they make a look-alike. They make it sound pretty similar. They make the words that they study sound really similar to that of the Bible. They bring some works in and some good feeling and some good morals. They're not going to go completely juxtapose from it. I mean, it's going to be a, a it's going to be similar, but it's going to be completely different. And they're coming in with these false ways to worship. See, religion does the same thing. Religion gives us as men, like if, if, if I would say just to define Rock Harbor is more of a relationship-based church than a religion, okay? Like we're not into religion here. I don't want you to hear that wrongly, but we're into a relationship with God. Jesus came and he was with the people. He loved the people. He served the people. He was in, he wasn't saying I'm over here and you're over there. Now, he was perfect and we're not, so there is this natural gap, but he came to be that bridge for us. So he is this relationship. Religion is a man's and woman's, it's our efforts that make us feel better about ourselves rather than God being fully and truly worshipped. And so this religion was the false idol and it was this false teaching. There was also, in our day and time, we've got the biggest of all idols and it's called self-worship. We worship ourselves. We're lovers of our self. In fact, Second Timothy says it this way. Understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. I could read this entire verses, but we'd all feel horrible about ourselves. okay? Let's read it. Um, <laughs> lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient. Okay, I got to read this. Disobedient to their parents. Amen. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. See, this is what it means to choose false teaching. See, when we worship ourselves, we begin to worship our ideals, the things that we want. It's called self-worship. And, and it breeds complacency. It breeds comfort. You know, when we, our first initial thought is, I would really like to just be more comfortable. Like what feels good to me, it's got to feel good to God, right? Because God wants me to be happy. And we make up scripture in our mind, you know, like God doesn't want us to be happy. Like he brings true joy, but we look for happiness in all the temporary. Those things that were on that list, like when we're proud, it 
brings some happiness to like be proud of what you did rather than being humble and say, I couldn't do it without the Lord. He'll bring joy and humility. Happiness comes for a short, quick season and we begin to worship ourselves. We find ourselves coming to the table. We find ourselves in a relationship in this sense of belonging with Jesus, but then we don't tell anyone about it. We get comfortable at the table. We get lazy at the table. We don't invite other people to the table because we got our table. We got our food. We got our things. And we forget there was a time that we didn't have the glory and the riches of a life with Jesus for now and for eternity. We find ourselves worshiping these false teachings and idols. We worship what feels good to us. We're not actually behaving as a disciple. We're claiming Christianity, but we're not proclaiming Christ in our life or in our words. And those are hard things to hear, but they're true. And we end up buying a fake. We buy peace and happiness in something that is not authentic. I remember when I was in fifth grade and um, I was a Lakers fan, which is sad in and of itself. It was good back then. But um, I remember my mom came home from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she goes, we went to the mall, Keith. We were from Kansas. We didn't have a mall. She went to the mall and she's like, I got these for 20 bucks. And she put down a pair of Sky Jordans on the table. I was so pumped up. I was like, Sky Jordans, and they were like the real Jordan, but they were in the kids' sizes, and they didn't put air in them until size six. Does anybody remember? No, just me. Okay, it was Sky Jordan, and so on the side, it didn't say Air Jordan, because they didn't want to falsely advertise, so it said Sky Jordan, and I was like, oh, and I'm like, Mom, I like Magic Johnson, and she's like, well, good news, I got your brother some Magic Johnsons. You know those big Converse Magic Johnsons that look like like, like um, astronaut boots? Um, and so he's all pumped up, and then I started wearing these because it was basketball season, and I got more compliments on those shoes than I get on my hairline. Like, I got more compliments about, they were like, people were like, I love those, those are all, the, and I'm all of a sudden I'm a Jordan fan, you know, still the Lakers at heart, but Jordan by way of my shoes. And I'll never forget, though, just knowing inside, like, these are skies, they're not quite airs, you know? And then I had this experience in that same year in fifth grade where OP shorts were super popular. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like jams? They were called jams. They were super popular. I mean, like, I'm going to get me some of them. And my mom's like, we are not spending $27 on those. I'm going to make you some. So she went to Walmart. She went to Walmart and made me these. And I'm like, oh, mom, like, I don't, mom, these are not going to work. I, okay. I down, I got that off, off Google. Um, my wife's gone. I'm going to have to clear the search history because I don't want her seeing that I was searching for men's crocheted shorts. She'd be like, I go to Ethiopia. What happened? Um, but no, she made me these jams there. Thank you. I'll be to go to a different picture. I'm like stumbling the whole time I'm here. Um, but she made me these jams and one leg was longer than the other. And so like one was here and one was here. And I'm like, okay, mom, like the pattern reflects like the beach and stuff. But these are not working. I wore a baseball one time and I couldn't bend like, I was like, I can't get any grounders. You know, I like couldn't reach down because I was going to rip them. And she's like, oh, they're fine. Everybody likes them. I'm like, you like them. Like, you're not the one wearing them. I'm like, why don't you wear them? And she's going to be in the 12 o'clock service today. I can't wait to tell her. Um, you know, just when you just like unload on your parents after like 30 years, it's like going to be awesome. Um, but I remember going the whole time, like these are fake. Like I want the real thing. And, and when, I was given the opportunity to get like a real set of jams that someone gave me. I remember going, yeah, this is how it's supposed to feel. And I was like, I felt like I could surf and I felt good. 
And what was happening in this day and time is this new, not new church, because God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's always been for, our, for us to worship. He's always existed, always has, always will be. But when Jesus came, there was this rebirth of life and what it meant to have life in Jesus Christ, what it meant to truly love and adore and worship God. And now all of a sudden people are seeing the real deal. They're seeing passion. They're seeing fervency. They're seeing people's self-possessions meet the needs of the poor. They're seeing orphans being brought in from outside the city, brought into houses. And they're going, what is going on? What is this? See, my fear is, is that many of us in this room that we have heard about the table and we're close to the table and we're close enough in relationship to the table but yet we haven't taken our seat at the table. So before I can talk about who's not here and we all assume that everybody in this room is around that table, I need to talk about what it means to have an authentic relationship with Jesus. An authentic relationship with Jesus. Not one that a false teacher would say, you know, claim the title of Christian or if you give money or if you serve or if you perform these works or if you're baptized at this certain age or if you take communion. We have these sacraments and we do these things. But rather, have we repented? See, authentic Christianity, authentically following Jesus, is repentance, it's obedience, and it's an evidence in a spirit-led life. It's going on our knees and confessing our sin. It's saying, I am not a follower of Jesus. He died for me, but I'm repenting of my sin. I'm going to obey him with my life, and he's going to be evident because I am led by him. So I don't have, yes, I may have this desire to be proud. Yes, I may have a love for money, but I'm going to crucify that. The Bible says that we would die to ourselves and we would be alive in him, that we would become generous, not because it's natural, because it's natural to be ungenerous. Like any good work in you comes down from God. Any, any desire to want to help someone else, it doesn't, it, I mean, there may be a moral uh, like propensity that exists, but that comes from God. God has placed that inside of you. But it's not the works that build the relationship. It's repentance. It's obedience. It's having a spirit-led life. I've heard that there's a principle out there called the 18-inch rule. That there's 18 inches between life and death. See, between your knees and the ground is about 18 inches. It's about one cubit, unless you're like seven foot, okay? Um, but one cubit is 18 inches. This is a cubit from the tip of your finger to your elbow. It's about a cubit between your knee and the ground. And that's where we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. So when you pray to receive Christ as your Savior, it does not mean that you have to kneel down. But the posture of our heart should be one of surrender. It should be one of worship. It should be one bowing down and saying, I can't, but you can. Between your head and your heart, 18 inches. It's not just knowledge here. It's a heart saying, I need to be saved. I am lost. I do not know Jesus. I'm not going to allow an education and knowledge of God for the demons and Satan. They believe in God. There's an understanding and a knowledge of who God is, but there's not a surrender in a heart. Therefore, they are damned to hell. And this hell that's talked about that we know not because people use that word, but because there is an actual place. There is heaven and in hell in eternity. There's not three places, there's not four, there's not seven, there's not eight, there's not options. It's like heaven or hell. That was created for Satan and his demons. But heaven is perfect, so there's a gap between heaven and hell, and it is our sin that Jesus paid for so that we could have life in him. But it takes a surrender, it takes this surrender in our heart between our head, moving it into our heart that there is salvation enters in. 
And it's evident in the third cubit, and that's the outstretched hand of sacrifice. Say, I've surrendered my heart to Jesus. I have been saved. I've been rescued. Not just in my mind, it's not a knowledge, but I've been rescued. But I'm also going to extend my hands as Christ did. I'm going to seek and save those who are lost. I'm going to serve. Just as Jesus didn't come to be served, but rather to serve. See, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, Jesus is extremely compelling, and people were mesmerized by the miracles that he was doing. But Jesus needs to be more than just compelling, and we need to be more than impressed. We need to be surrendered. We need to be more than just compelled to this. We surrender is mandatory for salvation. And so when I look at this table, before we start talking about who's not here and think about how can I help others, how can I, I build this, or how can I just simply serve and wait on the table, we have to say, like, have I taken my seat at the table? Have I surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ? See, Jesus did a miracle one time, just in John 11. I was at, we were in 12 and 13 last week. And he raised a man by the name of Lazarus from the dead. Like he was four days dead. Like he stanketh. Like that's what the Bible says. And he, Jesus came and he raised him from the dead. And this amazing thing happens. It says, many were saved. It was that day that many believed. And we can say, praise God for the many. Or we can look at it and say, why not all? Why not all? Who walked away from somebody being dead for four days, raised to life? And why didn't all believe? I look at Rock Harbor Church and I can't believe what God has done in six and a half years. Prior to today's river baptism, we've seen 912 people be baptized. 912. You can celebrate or you can sit there. It don't matter. And that's, that's, the, that's glory to God. 912. That's many, but it's not all. It's many, but it's not all. Not everybody knows. Not everybody has taken their seat at the table. Not everybody's been invited to the table. Not everybody. And it's not about baptism. It's about the salvation. It's about the knees to our knees from our heart, outstretching our hands. But the Bible says that we would obey. Remember repentance and the first step after that is obedience. And Jesus says that we would be baptized, to immediately be baptized. Many, but not all. My prayer is is that today, each one of us in this room would recognize and look at our heart and say, okay, am I a Christian by title? Am I a Christian by church attendance? Am I a Christian because I'm not these other things? Or do I have a relationship with Jesus? Am I a follower of him? And if God has moved in your heart for you to surrender your life to him so that you can have life in him, you can be alive in him today, that you would pray and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And once we do that, then we take the step of baptism. We take a step of obedience. Not that our eternity is secure in that baptism, but rather it's saying, I identify with Jesus and I am not ashamed. I want to follow him with my life. And upon that, we begin to proclaim the message of Jesus. We're going to proclaim the message of Jesus. I remember the first sermon that Chris File preached. I remember it. Chris File got baptized four years ago, maybe five. I remember the first sermon he preached. It was his baptism. 
Chris doesn't have, he doesn't say a lot of words. I think it's because he has a beard and I don't know that his words can get through it. And it's so massive. And I love those pictures and I asked him to reenact it in the river with me and he said, no. So I talked him into taking a picture out back last week. And I was like, I put them side by side. I was like, wow, that's really cool. In the last five years, we hit puberty. That's awesome. <laughs> Way to go, Chris, you know? And I, I, I just, I remember I, this sermon because he didn't say a lot of words, but he preached it with this act of baptism. He proclaimed that he was the Lord's. He proclaimed that I've surrendered my life to him and I identify with Jesus Christ. So your baptism, my baptism, it's one of the first sermons, whether we ever preach audibly from a stage or in a kid's classroom or whatever, we're proclaiming the name of Jesus through this. That's what it means to be a follower. This man by the name of Jude that that wrote this, he, he really brings it to a point at the close in verse number 20. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in most, the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He's saying, this is really where love and lead comes from. We're to love and lead one another to be devoted followers of Jesus. That's our mission at Rock Harbor. That's straight from scripture, that we're to love and lead and invite one another in. We're to build one another up. We're to wait on the mercy of the Lord. We don't deserve it, but we recognize that much grace has been given to us. Verse 22, and we have mercy on those who doubt. I know this is a big room and you don't have to raise your hand up high. You can just go right here. But is there anybody else in here other than just me that has doubt at times? Yeah, where you just like go, okay, I don't really understand. Whether it's about life, whether it's about scripture, but just like, man, maybe you have a propensity to be, uh, have questions or kind of seeking often or a skeptic about things or like, I know they said this, but I really wonder what they mean, you know? We look at scripture and we look at like a relationship with Jesus and we're just like, I don't really understand it all. Doubt can come in. When not, not all of us understand, we need to have mercy for those rather than just going like, figure it out, the Bible says so. Like we need to have grace and patience and mercy. And in doing so, by honoring the Lord and honoring one another in relationship, it says that we'll save others by snatching them out of the fire. I love this idea. We'll save others by snatching them out of the fire. Meaning that it doesn't mean that our church is of the world. It means our church is in the world. The Bible tells us that we should be in the world, not of the world. And our church and our life should be very, very close to the fire. To the point that our church should smell like smoke. Like we're that close. It should smell like fire. I've had people go, you know what? You don't know what I've done. Like the shame that I have on me, like I don't think that I should be baptized. Like I have stuff in my past. I've seen people break down and cry when God has moved in their heart for ministry. And they've said like, there's a lot of people out there that if they knew that I was going to serve in a church, like they would wonder, what kind of church is that? There's some of you that you've come through things. That it's only by the grace of God. Jesus was often questioned, why was he hanging out with certain people? He was the greatest message ever told. He lived the greatest message that was ever told. He wrote a love story for us. 
because he deeply, deeply desires a relationship with you and I. And if we keep our churches separate from the actual people and we keep them looking a certain way, we're going to be a religion before you know it. And we will make our effort that blesses us to work our way to God. Or we can allow the grace of God to overflow us to the point that it draws men and women to himself by lifting him up. See, our church should smell a bit like smoke. But first, we've got to look for the lonely. And I take my kids to school in the mornings. I don't take as many of them anymore. Um, I wish I took none of them, um, to be honest with you. But we get to spend, you know, seven minutes in the car fighting Eagle Road traffic. It's a total blessing. Like, I get to <laughs> yell the whole time and then pray. Like, dear God, forgive me of that and pray the kids have a good day. Um, and their mom remembers to pick them up, you know. So, like, we get to talk in the car and when they get out of the car, generally we'll be pulling around the loop where you try to cut people off but do it legally. Um, and I'll say, look for the lonely. And I'll say, what are you going to do today? They'll say, look for the lonely. Like, we must look for the lonely. We've got to go out to seek and save those who are lost. I wrote this, so I'm going to read it because I can't possibly say it again because it has seven L's and I can't remember, but it makes me feel good about myself. It says, loving and leading the lost is longing for them to lean and ultimately live for the Lord. Loving and leading the lost is what I just said to close that, okay? Ultimately, this goal of living for the Lord, to lean on the Lord, to join at the table, but then to live for him to begin to fill the table, to go out the highways and hedges and compel them to come into the greatest banquet ever for now and for eternity. Rather than just getting comfortable in our seat, we have to go out and do what the Lord has placed in front of us, to snatch people from the fire. We're not the one that rescues him. It's the Lord that does it. But by his grace and by his might and by your story, they can hear a message of Jesus being lived out. The greatest story that you'll ever tell, the best presentation of the gospel that you'll ever give is just simply a life that reflects the life-changing message of Jesus to where your life reflects the words of Scripture or the words that you have orated. But the problem is this. We have a propensity to move towards preservation rather than expansion. My question for you is, are you a keeper of an aquarium or are you a fisher of men? Are you a keeper of an aquarium or a fisher of men? Because as a keeper of aquarium, we're like, okay, let's get this here. This looks good. Okay, people are going to come over. Um, we want to honor God. God likes straight chairs. Okay, God likes this put together. Let's get a table runner. Table runner, Nate. There. Okay, we ain't got none. Um, we're portable. We don't bring extra stuff to church if we don't have to. Um, you know, table runner, you know, you get this thing here. You get the plates out. You know, why have just one fork, you know, that you use for all things? Let's get multiple forks. Okay, lots of forks. Nobody knows what to do with them, but let's get them all set out. Let's, t- let's, let's keep the aquarium. Let's put it all together. Let's make sure people like it. Um, we probably need to restain this so when people come um, and we forget that we're supposed to be out fishing for men. We don't leave the table because we're comfortable at the table. We got our seat at the table. Remember, I sit here. This is where I sit. I've seen this take place. This is my classroom. I sit in this seat at the 815 service. Well, congratulations. No one's fighting you over that chair, bro. But... Anyways, I, this is where I sit each and every week. You know, this is where I like to go over here. I want this to be my teacher. I want this to be my community group. We found it. Us four no more. You know, we've got our holy huddle. This is what we've got. And we start to keep an aquarium. And we forget the fact that there are men and women and souls and lives to be fished after. We have to ask ourselves, am I willing to step away from the table? Not 
my salvation, not the security of the fellowship that's here, but to go out and seek and save those who are lost. There's a calling that we have. We've been brought from death to life. Jesus gave us that. We need to share it. We've been brought from confusion to clarity by the Savior. We've been brought from hurt in our life to hope that we have in him. We have to do something with that, and it's not to keep for ourselves. It's not to preserve, but rather to expand. It's not to become a museum, but rather be a movement. Not a place that people come and watch, but rather people come to go. Come in to be sent out. Come in to be sent out. Come in to be sent out. That's what we've been called to do. We're a harbor. We're a safe place. There's a season where we get rest, relaxation. There's a season where we come in and nurture and disciple, but there are seasons and seasons and seasons where we go out to seek and to save those who are lost. Man, I could talk forever. I literally could. Ask my wife. I could talk forever. Especially about this. I asked you guys through a communication card about a month ago, how did you find out about Rock Harbor? 71% of you found out because of a friend or family member invited you. 71%. 16% of you found out because of the internet, whether that's Facebook, Google, Here's where my house is, closest church. Okay, that sounds good. We're, we don't care. We just want to drive, ride our bikes. We don't care if we like it, but we're going to ride our bikes to church. It's going to be easy. You're conveniently here. That I can't wait for you to serve at all three because you're so darn close. Uh, three or four services. It's going to be great. And the gas money you're saving, I can't wait to see that in our, our time building fund. Um, just that, That's only for this service. I didn't have that at the last one, but God wants you to do that. Um, some of you, 9% of you, saw the Rock Harbor flags. I don't know if it like fell down in the road and you had a swerve, but you saw the Rock Harbor flags and about 5% saw stickers and Yelp or different stuff out there that was kind of a random group of things. One person said, my chiropractor, (laughs) while they had my neck, what church would you like to go to? I go to Rock Harbor. I'll be there Sunday. (laughs) Okay. Um, My real estate agent at a yard sale. That's good, saving money. Um, The owner of an Airbnb that we rented. I don't know how that worked. <laughs> how are you doing this morning? Would you like to go to church with me? I don't know exactly. Um, someone said Yelp. I saw it listed as the friendliest church. <laughs> I don't know who voted on that. Um, my mom's group, our title person, and then someone said Craigslist. So go ahead and laugh. That was me that invited someone, okay? I sold them a table for 45 bucks. They didn't talk me down. And I thought, I like these people. Would you like to go to church with me? And last week, we baptized Taylor and AJ in the river. And I celebrate that. This means a lot to me because I met him in front of my house two years ago. And uh, we got a chance to talk. Next thing you know, they literally showed up. And to watch them be baptized and see the journey that the Lord has brought them on and that they're leading a community group, like only God does that. We're getting some things ready. We're going to sell on Craigslist later. So that's what these guys are. We've got to get a good little photo shoot on if you guys would like that. These chairs are available. $200, but it's been used on stage at Rock Harbor. Marty will sign it. It'll be great. Um, But no matter how we found out or who we've invited, you know, that friend of yours is more than a friend. It's a story to belong to. That family member is more than a mom or a dad or a brother or sister. It's a story that you're given the privilege to belong to. Your classmate, your teammate, it's a story to belong to. There's a story that's waiting for you to belong to, not because you are Jesus. No, you're just the hands and feet of Jesus. You're the invitation to be in a relationship with him. 
And Andy Stanley has three points of these called these three knots. I added a fourth just so I can say that it's mine and make it a little bit better for him. But there's four knots to listen to. When someone tells you their life isn't going well, it's not going well, then you process and go, you know what? I would love for you to come to church with me on Sunday. Or, hey, I have this Bible study that I'm doing. Or, hey, it's a, it's a way that we could invite someone. Another thing is someone says, hey, something happened in my life I was not prepared for. I wasn't prepared. I didn't imagine that I would be divorced. I wasn't prepared to lose a family member. I wasn't prepared for this diagnosis. Something should go in our mind that says, hey, I'm going to invite him to church with me. I'm going to invite him into a relationship and to talk a little bit deeper. When someone says, I'm not from here, like we just moved here, or we're not from this side of town, or this is, we're not from this school. We went to another school, now we're here. My kids are new here. Like this is our first year on the team. Like it should go in our mind, like this is an opportunity to invite them, to connect them in the community. And if someone straight up says, I'm not in church, meaning they have been in church or they've never been in church, it's an opportunity to invite them. And our prayer is this. You're not inviting them into a religion. You're inviting to a relationship. You're the currency. You're the platform of that. To begin thinking about the hearts and the souls of people because not everybody's at the table yet. We might have found some comfort, but let's not get comfortable. The comfort we have is the peace we have in our heart now. We get to enjoy for eternity, but you'll never be at peace anymore than when you are communicating, you're proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. You're preaching that sermon through your Brad baptism. You're extending that invitation. You may not be up front. You may not be saying, hey, in chapter four, this and this and this, but you're saying, you know what? I'm here to talk if you want to talk about anything. Hey, you ought to join me for this. We have to have this, this heart of inclusion. We have to invest and invite the lives of people because we are not keeping an aquarium. If you want to keep an aquarium, I'm really sorry. This isn't going to sound good. But you probably need to find a different place to worship. You need to find a different group to gather with because we're going to be talking about this forever. We are going to fish for people. We're going to reach people. People are dying. Hell is a real place. And we want to stand in the way of that. We can't save a soul, but we can be used by God to see souls saved. On your communication card, it has three blanks. And it says, I'd like to pray for, invest in, or invite to. Would you list three friends or family members that you're praying for? When's the last time that you earnestly prayed for someone's soul? For someone's life to be rescued? Because if we're not thinking about it, we're not praying about it, we're probably not doing it. But it gives us an opportunity to write some names down to process that. Because we believe in the power of prayer. And we want to pray earnestly that lives would be changed. You can do that as these guys uh, sing a song for us.